Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. And the good news out of all this pandemic, if you can find any, is that we're getting a complete reset. So there are going to be some amazing visions turning into some amazing companies that do some amazing world-class things. We just got to hope they're here and they're American. And, and, you know, just to be honest, I'm I'm completely confident they will be because that's what makes us different as a country. We're a country full of entrepreneurs. But how will it happen, though? Because right now we're in this situation, 30 million unemployed, everyone uncertain about... The, the virus, nobody really knows anything about the virus. Like if we hadn't done social distancing, would there have been millions of deaths? Yeah, we don't know. You know, we don't know the lockdown. Should we reopen? Should we not? So what's going to, you know, what's going to happen? I'm asking. Oh, you're asking, you know, again, you know, you, you take baby steps first. You know, what I told the, the White House was, you know what works? Delivery and pickup. It's worked for restaurants. It's worked for grocery stores extend it to any business who wants to do it. Because effectively, that's what online is anyways, right? It's just how you place the orders a little bit different. And so that's your first step towards getting people back to work. So, okay, what's a path, to realistic path right now to get us there? My health is really important to me. I know I'm more creative when I'm healthy. I know I'm more energetic. And look, Athletic Greens takes your nutrition seriously, which is something we all should do all of the time. Athletic Greens has been a sponsor for so many years, and I really can't thank them enough, specifically because they make a product that I personally love using to support my immune system and my gut health. I really want to stress that Athletic Greens is not your average supplement. It's a high-quality product taken by renowned experts, including myself, as a way to get access to micronutrients and support gut health. And their research is impeccable and goes above and beyond anything else I've seen. You'll get high-quality doses of zinc citrate, vitamin C, plus all sorts of prebiotics and probiotics, which is great because they provide effective immune system support and improve your gut health. And it's not me just saying this. It's, again, check out Peter Diamandis' testimony. Tim Ferriss is the one that introduced me to the product. They really go above and beyond to help you take care of you, which is why I love taking Athletic Greens every single day. I do not miss a day, and it's why I love having them as a sponsor because I want all of you to be well and get this immune support that I've been getting daily for years. Like, I really, I just, I'm amazed at how Athletic Greens has become a part of my life. I feel such a big difference in my energy 
And the taste itself, I love it. It doesn't taste like some fake chocolate or fake candy flavor supplements you see everywhere else. This tastes natural because the ingredients come from natural whole foods. And I should mention, it also has adaptogens and stress and hormone support. And we all know as stress goes up, it's important to be on our own team and get wellness where we can. This is critical. Stress is to be avoided. So go ahead and check out their website. But can't thank you enough for supporting them as they support us to support you. It's a giant, virtuous circle. So thank you. We're all supporting each other. And this makes me feel so good that we're building this community and, and, and that I get to share all these different opportunities and guests and so on with you. So because they're a direct sponsor, I was able to cut a deal with them that's going to help you. It's a great deal. If you're a James Altucher Show listener, you can get an extra 20 serving pack for free. It's a $79 value with your first purchase. But you got to go to the exact URL. It's athleticgreens.com slash James and claim your special offer today. That's athleticgreens.com slash James. It's in the US, Canada, UK, and EU. Take your nutrition to the next level. Try Athletic Greens today. Remember, use the URL. Don't be an idiot and just go to athleticgreens.com. Then you won't get the special James Altucher Show treatment. So that's athleticgreens.com slash James to get started. You see in my background on the right, there's a classic 1980s arcade game. So I'm 40 years behind your gaming. <laughs> VR compared to Defender and Joust. Yeah. All good. All right. So Mark, thanks for coming on. And thanks, uh, I'll, I'll start right off. So I've got on Mark Cuban on the podcast. You might know him. He's the owner of a little local basketball team in Dallas called the Mavericks. He's also uh, a regular on a TV show that's about sharks and fish and other water-related activities. He's on Donald Trump's uh, The Open America Council. What's the official name of it? I feel I like the name changes. I don't it's even like, know. It's like the, 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 the council for- The open up the economy type thing. Right. And so this is the critical issue right now. We've been through this horrible- not only was the health crisis horrible, but the economic shutdown has been horrible for tens of millions of people and potentially more. Um, first question I'll ask though is, Mark, what's up with TikTok? Are you really making a play for it? Like, are you gonna try to get millions? Are you learning the dances? Do you have instructors? Did you not ever watch Dancing with the Stars? I already could dance. Oh, that's and so right. I brought dancing to TikTok. You invented it on TikTok, no wonder. <laughs> got 300,000 followers. I'm going to have to catch up. I know, and I'm not even working hard. I started back when it was Musical.ly. And actually, when it was Musical.ly, I forget the guy's name, but I reached out to him and said, this is great. Can I invest? And they had just raised like $500 million or something crazy. Um, so I missed out. But yeah, it's 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 a fun place. And I got to tell you, they have the best AI in all of social media when it comes to entertainment. entertainment. Um you know, my son is on there and he gets one feed, even though we might follow the same people. My daughters are get another feed depending on what they like. And I get what I like. The, the way they serve up content just blows away everybody else. It's really it's really incredible. You know, it's interesting. And I know we have many more things more important to talk about. But this is the first social network that I've seen where it's not totally based there's not a total correlation between your number of followers and how well a video does. So they recognize very quickly. Like you said, the AI recognizes very quickly if you've done a good video and then it will focus 
on that as opposed to just distributing it to your followers. Yeah, and that's where the dancing comes in because what they do is they look to see if you watch it all the way through, and these are only 15 seconds, but it's so easy to rewatch something if it catches your attention. And so it looks to calculate how many times you've rewatched across all the different viewerships. And, you know, and then they'll start feeding it to new people that like similar things. And if those people also watch it a lot, then they'll feed it to more and more and more people. And so it's self-propagating. And that's what makes it crazy. Like I had one video that ended up with 5 million viewers, 5 million. And it was just dumb, just really dumb. Um, some guy said the five worst names to name your kid. And the worst name, just by chance, was some kid, he was like 18. The worst name was Mark. And so they, you can do a duet on there so you can respond to the video. Yeah. And so I'm like sitting right here going, ah, you know, great, Sean, John, whatever the names were. Then you get to Mark and I go, you know, give this big response. And people watched it over because you had to watch it to see to the end, right? And that played to the algorithm, which then got it seen again and again and again. Ah, that's a good tip. Make sure you there's enough cliffhangers second by second to get people to the end. Exactly. So, well, okay. Listen, coronavirus, I'm going to get right to it. What's, nobody seems to really know anything. There's a lot, there's more uncertainty than certainty. And I guess I'll just ask what I'm most worried about, which is how long can the economy close before something new exists that we don't really want at all? I think that's, uh, there's, there's also health questions and I'm not ignoring that, but on the economy side, I, I'm just being honest. I get worried about a Mad Max scenario after, so, you know, if it, I wouldn't go that that far, but the question really becomes to avoid the worst case scenario, what do we do with our federal dollars? You know, and historically we've been, we've done it top down where we, the Fed injects liquidity. We keep companies from delevering, we buy loans and that helps companies at the top without really providing for anybody at the bottom. But where this is completely different is consumer demand just stopped. It was as abrupt as you know you could ever possibly imagine. And without juicing consumer demand with those federal dollars, that's where I get worried because this needs to be a bottom-up recovery, not the traditional top-down recovery. And as much as I've tried to convey that to um, this council, which is really a liaison person who's really been responsive to me, so I give them credit, um, that I... I, I I'm falling on deaf ears. I think they're trying to do it the traditional way. And you see that not so much with the PPP. I mean, the PPP program was too slow, but they had the right intentions. And then when it was slow, we lost, you know, the payroll protection program had to be immediate because the only way you're going to protect and keep people on the payroll is if you get money into small businesses' hands immediately so they can afford to keep them. And it was just too slow. And now you've got this catch 22 where they furloughed or laid off people and, and, you know, obviously to the tune of 30 million people at least. And it's the catch 22 is if they try to bring them back because they've gotten PPP money, it's not enough to open up or to sustain yourself while your business is closed, depending on the, the municipality you're in. And on top of that, a lot of your employees are getting enhanced unemployment benefits and they're making more money by not working than if they did work, and so they don't want that small business to open up. That's one big issue. And then now they're starting at looking at doing $600 billion for bigger companies and doing it more from the simple perspective of, we're going to loan you money to help you stay in business. 
but the taxpayer is not getting anything in return. You know, some people might say, well, they're getting a, a small interest rate. That, that's nothing. I mean, this is our opportunity to try to deal with the inequalities that people at the bottom face versus people like you and I and start saying, okay, if we're going to loan money to these medium or bigger sized businesses, we need to start getting some equity. We need to get some warrants. We need to get some options because if those companies need this money to survive, any other smart investor, whether it's me, you, or the, the superstars like Warren Buffett, et cetera, they're going to ask for warrants. They're going to ask for options. They're going to ask for preferred stock. And if the treasury doesn't do that and take that money and maybe even take half of them and make it available to the employees of the company that they're saving or supporting and making the other half available to the treasury or even taking it further, you know, Mark Andreessen wrote a great article the other day. And one of the things that caught my eye more than anything, and he was right, there's no way for the government to, to convey any type of digital support to the citizens of this country. You know, if they wanted to give everybody a dollar, there's no easy way for them to do it. And that's a problem as we're seeing right now. You know, one of the companies I advise is an app called Dave, which does overdraft support. So by definition, all of their, their um, 4 million users are eligible for the um, for the stimulus, the $1,200 stimulus, and maybe more. And less than 35%, I forget the exact number, but it was far less than half of their users had even gotten the stimulus check yet. And so that's a long roundabout way of saying that with this new $600 million, not only should we be asking for a legitimate um, investor PE type deal, but we probably should look at taking half of it whatever we get, it warrants, options, whatever, giving them to the employees of the company that we're loaning money to, and maybe even having a, a, an account for everybody over the age of, I don't know, two, five, whatever it is, so that we can start depositing, you know, a fractionalized amount of the stock into all of our accounts in this country, everybody. And so, you know, because if you take 600 billion divided by, you know, let's just say for easy numbers, 200 million, that's $3,000 a pop in equity or options or warrants for everybody over, let's say 18, again, to make it easier this time. So if you, you know, if you gave value in an account to everybody over the age of 18 to the tune of $3,000 and you let them keep that and don't let them sell it for years, if you believe the economy will come back like I do, then that's going to be worth a lot of money. And that turns into a savings account if we do this right. But if we just do it the old fashioned way and just give them money, loan it to them and hope they pay it back, you know, then I don't know if I go to Mad Max, but there's a lot to be worried about. Yeah. And I, and that's so interesting. You bring up a bunch of things that are very creative. One is in 2009, they did a little bit of what you're saying, which is the government, you know, took a piece of the top 10 banks in the country, did the bailout, forced them to take it, but took, I think, 20% of each bank and eventually sold it off as a profit. And yet the idea of doing that, which I don't know why actually now they didn't think of that a little bit, but the idea of doing that, but then sharing the proceeds with the workers is very creative. I think that's very interesting. Maybe they should have done that in 2009. I want to ask about top down versus bottom up. So when what, typically when the Federal Reserve gets involved with rate cuts and now they're going out further on the curve with, you know, mortgage-backed securities, the repo market and so on, that stimulus does take longer, like you say, 
to take effect. We don't really- That's why they call it trickle down instead of rush down. Right, know? like there's no, there's no real benefit immediately, particularly when we're all locked in our houses because there's no reason, A, there's no reason to spend money. So velocity of money goes to zero. And we, what are we gonna do, buy a house now because interest rates are lower? We're, we're not doing that. But so let's go to the complete other side. Why do we need to give any money to businesses at all? Like I'm just taking an extreme. If we had just taken the two trillion in stimulus and give it to the 100 million workers out there or 120 million workers out there, that would be about $17,000, $18,000 per worker. Would, is that an option you would have considered? Oh, absolutely. And I don't even look at that as UBI. So let's not get into that conversation, yeah. right? You know, that's a stimulus program. Just like we gave 1,200, why not give 5,000, 10,000, 12,000? And after, you know, almost like they did with PPP, you can only spend so much on rent and utilities, but you have to spend it. That push up, that consumerism is what I think would work far, far better. Because if you save some of my businesses, if you save banks, whatever, um, now you don't want banks to go bust because you don't want people there to be a run on people's savings accounts and stuff like that. But real estate companies and other companies where the Fed is or Treasury is looking at buying loans, you know, I'd much rather see that spend at the bottom up because if you create demand, those companies are staying in business and you're encouraging entrepreneurship. If there's no right. demand, then there's just a loan. And if people at the bottom have no money to spend, it's just delaying the inevitable. And so it, when you do top down, you have a better Mad Max, op, you know, the probability of Mad Max, you know, uh, environment being created is higher than if you do bottom up just by definition, you know? Right, and, and, and so if you do total bottom up, like what we were just describing, yes, more small businesses will go out of business, but more money is spread out. I don't know. No, I don't think so. I think more small businesses will stay in business. Maybe some real estate firms, some um, people who are highly leveraged would go out of business, but that was the risk they took. Right, and like, like look, for instance, in the two trillion stimulus, I think 51 billion is earmarked towards the airlines. Airlines are kind of used to going bankrupt. Like that's, a, that's par yeah. for the course if you start an airline. So why do we need to send 50 billion to them, that could have gone to, like you said, no one's even flying the planes now, so that money doesn't exist anymore. It's just sitting in Delta's bank account. Well, the question, but, to ask, the question to ask is how long does it take to start a new airline and what happens if they go bankrupt? And you know, if they go bankrupt, they get debtor financing and they start again, right? Right. And so you know, whether you pay up front or pay in the back and whether you want those um, employees to go on to the unemployment rolls, you know, I don't mind subsidizing. So effectively, it's six of one half dozen the other if all the money goes to employees, right? So whether you're right, so if the money for Delta um, goes to their employees and some overhead to pay the rent, okay, that's not bad, as long as that company is giving something in return. So, you know, Boeing, same type of thing. If you're doing a Warren Buffett type negotiation where you say, I want preferred stock for the taxpayers, I want warrants so that if once the stock goes back up, then we all benefit. And if you're doing like I suggested, funneling that to employees and maybe into you know um, a savings account like we discussed for everybody else, then okay, that may be a better return for taxpayers and employees than just writing a check to everybody because there's no capital appreciation when you just write the check to everybody. At least with this, you're keeping the jobs and because it's a public company, there's an opportunity for capital appreciation. But if you're just writing a check you know, for a middle market company that's private, it's, it's, it's a different calculus. Now you still can ask for equity and options and warrants if you think that company will survive. But if you're delaying the inevitable, it's better to go to the bottom. 
Right. And we don't know, we don't know at this point what the inevitable is because there, there's, when this opens up, will people go to movies? Will people go to restaurants? Will people find planes? We just don't know. Whereas if you give it, and, and I never really thought this bottom up before, but if you give it directly to the workers, it's it, that replaces the money lost in the system much more quickly. People go well, again, out and so let's spend. play devil's advocate there because you can make an argument both ways. But if you if the money you're giving to a bigger company goes right to the employees, some overhead right right to the employees, you know the seventeen thousand is lets them eat for one you know for how whatever period of time right. But there's no real capital appreciation. There's no way right. for them to improve their position to improve their net worth, right? If you give it to a corporation that in turn is required to keep them, you know, if not at their same salary, at close to it, and you take from that company, particularly if they're public, equity and warrants, and you funnel that to the employees, then you, you have a different set of incentives, right? So now those employees are benefiting. They're still get, they're probably getting paid more than the seventeen or eighteen thousand dollars that they would have gotten. They're also getting equity or access to warrants, which allows them to increase their net worth if they work hard and things work out. And so that puts them in a better position than just writing them a check, right? And so where you have a lot of employees, that's one thing. Now where we get into you know when I, mid market, particularly for um, investment companies where there aren't a lot of employees. That's a different set of that's a different calculus, right? And so you know where your gain or loss is is completely different. So I'm you know I'm not here to try to save the airlines, but given where we are with the amount of unemployment, it's cheaper to keep them employed, and particularly if it can lead to increased productivity and some return um, on their time, right? Because that's really what gets you out of all this is increasing productivity for the entire worker base. And so, you know, where you can increase the productivity the most and benefit with some capital appreciation that goes back to the workers, I'm a fan. If it's a situation where this is just financial engineering and there's no not a lot of employees, there's just a lot of leverage, then you can die. Right, and so the situation we ended up in is exactly that. Like that is actually what happened, is what you just described. There is, there, they didn't do the 2009 deal or the Warren Buffett style deal where he, he gets special terms and gets equity and so on. They did this where they just gave out hundreds of billions to small businesses, some of them not very small, in fact, many of them very big. And there's all sorts of hazard risk here between you know moral hazard of bad companies being saved to other uh, issues where companies might just not rehire the employees, shut down, and the business owner puts the money in his or her pocket. Yeah. So, so, and, and, you know, I think part of the rationale for 2 trillion in stimulus was the federal reserve figured 2 trillion would be lost from the economy this quarter, you know, a 40% annualized, uh, depression essentially. And again, I don't see how the money is going to get into the system the way they did it. Like you said, in other interviews, it's too slow getting to the, the actual worker because the workers aren't getting it till we reopen the economy and there's uncertainty there. And 1200 does nothing for anybody. So I just wonder again, what's happens from here as opposed to what they should have done. But I like your plan. I wish they had done that. Yeah, no, look, you know, you want to, you need the productivity to, for us to get out of this, there needs to be productivity, right? It can't just be, here's money, do with it what you want. And there's different ways to do that. Um, you can force them to spend it and their productivity is once removed, or you can give them jobs 
where they will get, they will by definition, hopefully have some level of productivity that increases the economy and creates other opportunities. And you, you know, there's, there's a multiplier effect to that money. And I'm not opposed to that at all. In fact, I like it. And I'll use tracking and tracing as the perfect example. We need it, right? And it's going to take millions of people to do it um, for the entire country. Why not hire them? Why not train them to be healthcare workers so they know how to adhere to HIPAA issues so that people feel confident being able to give their information um, you know, anonymously to this well-trained person? And the, that's several million jobs. We know that we have an issue with the, our, the elderly in this country. It's a growing, the fastest growing demographic. There's not a lot enough long-term care. The, the fastest growing jobs, when you look at them prior to all this, was healthcare workers for long-term care. So why not hire and train millions of long-term care healthcare workers and build facilities for long-term care? That's part two. Part three, we know that we need to bring in core competency engineering or manufacturing back to this country. We're learning so much by the, from the fact that we didn't make PPE here. We didn't make a lot of our drugs here. And we need to, if it's not this, there'll be other products that we need to manufacture here. Except we're not good at manufacturing. And the only way that we're going to become America Inc. and dominate the, the world for manufacturing is to invest in robotics. And the faster and quicker we invest in robotics, the quicker we can bring job, we can bring products that we manufacture from overseas to the United States of America. And if we do enough of them and manufacture enough products using lights out, nothing but robotics in um, manufacturing, we will create enough jobs in that ecosystem that it will be more in terms of number of pure jobs in terms of better average salaries and better return on investment than if we tried to recreate America 1.0 using tariffs and trying to do the old school assembly line way because all the other countries that were competing for manufacturing are just going to keep on getting better and introducing new technology. And unfortunately, right now, we're behind Japan, Germany, and China when it comes to robotics. And so you start investing in things that create productivity, then you start growing the economy and you can push the consumerism because you're creating immediate jobs. So how would you answer, you know, obviously Roosevelt, when he took office in 1933, he immediately started the New Deal and created a lot of what would be the equivalent of robotics then, which is all these bridges, tunnels, you know, dams, infrastructure. But, and he created about 10 million jobs in the economy, which gave some psychological comfort, but did not remove us from the depression. Like, how would you, it well, still it, kept it, the economy low. it took the war to get us there, and I'm not the historian, but it, cert- it certainly got us further and put us in a much better place, right? And, you know, I think we're in a much more global economy right now. And so I, I just think that the entrepreneurial spirit of this country we'll be able to invent new ways of doing business that will create jobs if we can keep things moving forward. And so, yes, maybe it didn't solve the problem for the depression, but it certainly put a dent into it. Um, and then they also had monetary issues too, right? You know, there, were, there was deflation because there wasn't enough money in the system. We're not going to have that problem. Yeah, I mean, right now we artificially have it because nobody can spend, you can't go to a store and buy things. But my guess is we're going to go from some massive deflationary period that we're in this month to normal and then inflation was trillions of dollars of stimulus. Yeah, it's hard to know because we're the world's reserve currency, right? 
You know, so it's not just when this money gets printed, it's not just Americans spending or, or saving that money. It's the entire globe. And there's a shortage of American currency outside the United States. And, you know, and again, I'm not the expert on inflation. All I know is everybody's always expected inflation for everything we've done over the last 15 years. And we haven't we haven't really seen it. Well, well, correct me if I'm wrong. Probably what you're saying is when you say there's a shortage of supply of American currency, countries and entities like China, uh, the Middle East and so on. Buy, you know, they lend us the money and that puts deflationary. No, I'm um, just talking about just in any country around the world. So if you go to um, the Cayman Islands, they'll take American dollars. Right. You know, if you go to um, Italy, they'll take American dollars. And a lot of trade that they do just with side hustles is done in dollars. And so the literal physical dollars are used globally. And, and I, I can't tell you an exact number. Um, somebody I'm sure out there can but there's a shortage of those dollars. Um, and, you know, and plus, if you look like at the stock market, you know, it's obvious it's not just Americans investing in our stock market. It's people around the world looking for safe haven. And I think that's a key reason why the market's going up. Yeah, that and, and the fact that we never, like you said, we never seem to have inflation every time we do these, uh, these money drops, e even though our currency is, is yielding 0%, all the other countries still buy our treasury bills. So it's like we never at some point maybe that runs out and then you have the hyperinflation but our debt is denominated in dollars people buy those dollars and boom there's there's we're fighting against deflation and now and it's even worse and the only way that works in my opinion again i'm not the the world's greatest ec economist but is if we keep on investing in american ingenuity and technology and pushing the ball forward we need to continue to be that country that invents all the new stuff right if you go back and look at the greatest technological innovations of the past 50 years, they come, most of them come from American companies. Now, a lot of them were immigrants who came here and started those com companies, but still they originate here and we get the greatest value. I mean, English and, you know, American rules, you know, define the internet and continue to define the internet, define networking and continue, even though Huawei and some Jap and Chinese companies are trying to have an impact there, we still lead the way. They still have to copy our technology. And we have to do that with AI and robotics. And that's one of my concerns, not to get too political, but neither party has anybody with a clue at the top about technology and where we're going. And that's a real problem because that's how we're going to compete. That's how we're gonna recreate the economy. That's how we're gonna get our growth. Right, so, I mean, do you ever get, and this is like not quite a tangent, but I'm just curious about this. A lot of what's held us back on AI and, and big data and, and maybe, you know, uh, sequencing genomes, genomics, uh, uh, might be ethics issues. So China can go head first and not deal and not care about the ethics issues, but, right. but, uh, we get nervous about everything. We're, we're not, we always have to debate like, oh, should we work yeah. on cloning or is AI going to go too far right. or is automation going to go too far? And, you know, then we have movies like the Terminator and say, yes, be scared. Like, do you think we get, we kind of stop ourselves? Um, no, I mean, because if you look at the dominant companies of you know, the top 10 dominant AI companies, probably seven of them are US based and the other three are Chinese. Um, and that's a challenge. And I think those, those seven companies that are ours recognize that they've got to push forward. And that's scary in and of itself, particularly when we talk about breaking up big tech. And I'm not saying that there aren't antitrust issues. I'm not saying that there aren't decent reasons to have the discussion, but I look at it and say, you know, we need to dominate in AI because if we don't, China and Russia are gonna kick our ass in everything. 
you know, national defense, you just name it. And unfortunately, because we don't have a, much of a policy or much investment um, from the government federally, then we're at risk. And so we need to keep these big companies moving forward, being the experts they are in AI. Um, and that has ethical implications, no doubt about it. That has business implications. We're, we've become a nation of AI haves and have nots when it comes to business. You know, and the AI haves may be only 15 to 20 companies and the AI have nots are everybody else. And that creates its own set of challenges. But unfortunately, in a global economy where we don't have any federal investment and we don't have any politicians who understand what's going on, it it it, it is what it is. I mean, I just, you know, we we just we have to start look look at look at um healthcare, right? Look at pharmaceuticals. There was a study that said of the 216 top one molecule drugs, 93% of them had their origination at the NIH, right? Mm -hmm. So based on investments made with taxpayer money into the NIH, they came up with some of the best drugs that, you know, um, almost all of the leading drugs that we use. And if we take that type of approach, like we do with, with the NIH and apply that to AI and robotics, we can not only compete, but then because we're a leader um, globally, we can start having those ethics conversations and set the rules for those ethic con ethics conversations. If we're just trying to catch up, just like we are in manufacturing, when it comes to manufacturing, we're an afterthought, right? We don't set the rules. China sets all the rules and they're dominating everything globally in terms of sales and not just China, but other countries in East, Eastern Asia as well. And so you can't, you can't set policy from behind. And particularly when it comes to technology. And again, the fact that we don't have anybody that understands technology at the top is a huge, huge problem because all the political discussions revolve around doing things the way they were done 30 years ago, if not earlier. Yeah, because I was I, I, when, as you're saying, I'm thinking, you look at like the internet or GPS, all of these were government products that then became, you know, trillion dollar industries when they moved to private industry. And you're right, we probably don't have anything equivalent to that because we're still using the same players and ways of thinking that we used then. So we're not developing anything more advanced. Yep. I personally love feeling like I'm taking good care of myself. And I especially feel this when I take my daily dose of Athletic Greens. They really go above and beyond to help you take care of you, which is why I love taking Athletic Greens every single day. I do not miss a day. Athletic Greens is not your average supplement. First off, I love the taste. Second, it's a high-quality product taken by renowned experts, including myself. My friend Tim Ferriss is actually the one who introduced me to it years ago. I've seen Peter Diamandis' testimonial on the Athletic Greens website. So if you take it, you're in really great company. These are the experts. And it's great because they take a holistic approach, which is important to me. I don't want to put anything synthetic or bad for me in my body. I'm trying to constantly improve my diet, improve my health, improve my immune system. And Athletic Greens really has the same goal in mind for you. All the ingredients, and there's 75 in total, are highly absorbable and sourced from whole foods. And their research alone makes them a standout product for me. They've been a sponsor 
for well over a year. I love the product. I love how it tastes. They didn't just go to market and try to spring some random product on you. They spent 10 years with top nutritionists, naturopaths, and doctors to create their comprehensive formula. Athletic Greens really takes your nutrition seriously, which is something we all should do all the time. The formula is designed to help you adapt as your daily needs change due to stress, sleep patterns, or an imperfect diet. And these things are critically important for a good, well-functioning, healthy life. And if you're wondering what's in it, here's a sneak peek. You'll get super high-quality doses of zinc citrate, vitamin C, prebiotics and probiotics, which is great because they provide effective immune system support and improve your gut health. It also has adaptogens and stress and hormone support. And we all know as stress goes up, it's important to be on our own team and get wellness where we can. This is so critical. Stress is just bad for you. So listen, because they're a direct sponsor, I'm able to work out a really good deal with them. I love this company. I love the product. It tastes great. Here's the deal. If you're a James Altucher Show listener, you get an extra 20 serving pack for free. That's a $79 value with your first purchase. Just do this. Go to the exact URL that I'm telling you. Just jump on over to athleticgreens.com slash James and claim your special offer today. This is available in the US, Canada, UK, and EU. That's athleticgreens.com slash James. And look, don't just go to athleticgreens.com because then you're missing out on the $79 value and you're not helping anybody. So just don't, I, I, I told my friends this, go to athleticgreens.com slash James. They just go to athleticgreens.com. And I'm like, are you guys idiots? Just do the smart thing. Every, every penny counts and, and, and be smart about it. So take your nutrition to the next level. Try athletic greens today. That's athleticgreens.com slash James to get started. And I just want to say to Adam, who's the CEO of athletic greens, if you're listening now, Thank you. This has been a huge support for the podcast and I love the product. I love what you've been doing. And to my listeners, I also want to say thank you for listening and thank you for showing up for our sponsors. You're the reason they keep coming back. And I really know this because we have a, if you're listening to this, I know you're a high quality listener of podcasts because we get such great feedback from everybody from you guys, to the sponsors, to the companies we work with. Uh, I feel really proud of the podcast and the, and the value we're bringing right now. Now, here's the show. And remember, the link to try it out is athleticgreens.com slash James. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests. And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb. 
while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldercher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely gonna use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy, James. I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at Hims dot com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hims.com slash James. That's how I 
how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns dot com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. And the good news of out of, of, out of all this pandemic, if you can find any, is that we're getting a complete reset. So there are going to be some amazing visions turning into some amazing companies that do some amazing world-class things. We just got to hope they're here and they're American. And, and you know, just to be honest, I'm, I'm completely confident they will be because that's what makes us different as a country. We're a country full of entrepreneurs. But how will it happen, though? Because it doesn't seem like we're heading in that direction or, or even thinking that way. Like, this is the first conversation about these topics that I've, that I've had. And I've talked to people all around on, on this topic. When there's a blank canvas, James, and it's like the early days of the internet, right? It was a hassle, right? You had to download TCP IP, you had to have a PC, you had to have a modem, and it was a pain in the ass, a pain in the ass to even try to do audio back then, trying to, it was all jerry-rigged the way we would do it back, you know, 25 years ago. But we found a way to do it, even though there were a lot of hurdles. Now, and, and let me just add, the internet was new to everybody, right? It was a complete reset because there was nothing like it prior to that. You can talk wide area networks and some remote computing, but there really wasn't anything that led down to the consumer level. And we're kind of where we are, where we were then, that's where we are now. With this complete reset, big companies don't know what to do. You know, they're worried about their legacy businesses. Medium-sized companies are even more freaked out as are small businesses. And so you've got this blank canvas for any entrepreneur or anybody with a vision to say, you know what, in America 2.0, this is what I like it, this is what I see. This is what I think is gonna work for my generation. This is what I think is gonna work for the most people. Let me see what happens when I talk to people. And then there'll be things that take off that are viral, that have their own network effect, that change everything. You know, there'll be world-class companies created now, you know, from people we'd never heard of yet that just changed the game. And so that only could happen because we're work working with a blank slate. You know, so how, you don't you don't have to deal with all the inhibitors and all the boat anchors and all the legacy issues because everybody's inside. You get to work on it. And when they come out, they're going to be looking for things or how things are different. And if you give them a better way to do things, you know, rather than it just being the same old way, but something different where they say, wow, why didn't I think of that? Then that those are the game changers I think we'll see. And that's where I actually I apologize. No, no, you know what? I mean, it's all over the internet right now. Uh, bandwidth is exceeding demand. <laughs> <laughs> or, or demand you know is exceeding what? supply. Yep. So, 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 okay, but what's a path, to realistic path right now to get us there? Are you talking about a, starting from private side? Should we even care about the public sector? I mean, the best, I've gone a lot to cash for the very reason that I think the best investments are going to come on the private side. You know, um, I'm not looking for another way to make PPE or isolation gowns or masks. I'm not looking for a way to reinvent Uber or Lyft. I'm not looking for a better way to do Airbnb. You know, none of those things. I'm not looking to be the next, the next, you know, 
your name here, your company name here, but there's gonna be something, just like when we started with streaming and everybody was like, what the hell? We got radio, we got television. We don't, you know, I don't even know what the internet is. Or just like, you know, back my first company, when we started connecting PCs together, what the hell do we need to connect a PC together? Or when we started HDNet and people are like, high definition television, what is that? That's a $30,000 television that doesn't really look much better. Oh, but wait, this is gonna change, this is gonna change, and you'll put one on your wall and it'll cost 300 bucks at some point. You know, somebody with that type of vision, and I'm not saying, I, you know, it's just me, what anybody, right? It could be a 16-year-old kid, it could be a 68-year-old person that just comes up with a different vision and starts it. And we'll know, just like Google came out, when Google came out, there were tons of search engines, right. you know, but they just had a completely different approach to gathering information. Um, when Facebook came out, you know, it wasn't just a recreation of Friendster, it was, you know, Mark, um, Mark Zuckerberg looking for ways to get laid, you know, and meet hot girls, and boom, he took that and it became what it is. Just something that comes out of nowhere that we don't expect that changes the game. Those are the types of investments I'm looking for. And, but, but right now we're in this situation, 30 million unemployed, everyone uncertain about the, the virus. Nobody really knows anything about the virus. Like if we hadn't done social distancing, would there have been millions of deaths? Yeah, we don't know. You know we don't know the lockdown. Should we reopen? Should we not? Like I've heard you talking about Texas reopening and you're right. The governor Abbott says restaurants can't be more than 25% full. Well, you just put every restaurant out of business in Texas then. So what's going to, you know, what's going to happen? I'm asking. Oh, you're asking, you know, again, you know, you, you take baby steps first. You know, what I told the, the white house was, you know, what works delivery and pickup. It's worked for restaurants, it's worked for grocery stores. You know, the biggest problems you've had with openings is when grocery store employees get sick. So we're not, you know, so that's an indication right there. But pickup delivery works. Open it up to extend it, better word than open, extend it to any business who wants to do it. Because effectively that's what online is anyways, right? It's just how you place the orders a little bit is a little bit different. And so that's your first step towards getting the economy to a and getting people back to work. Let companies who have a, a business plan or an approach that allows them to do pickup and delivery, then give that two weeks. Let's see where we are and let's see what we learn. Because the whole 25% thing, that's great for showing, that's great for trying to create the perception that, hey, we're open for business now. But that's also a way for, for a lot of businesses to lose more money than they lost by staying closed. And it also creates a lot of catch-22 scenarios because like we said before, employees might not want to work because they made more money from um, unemployment. And then, particularly if you're in a dense city like New York um, or you're, you live on the south side of the tracks and you have to take public transportation, now you're forcing your employees to go into a much riskier environment and that creates its own set of issues with your employees. And so we've got to just start with the basic things that extend on what works and then go from there. And again, I'm not saying I have all the answers. I obviously don't. But you know, my approach typically is if something's work worth, if something's working, do more of it. What about um, stores that don't have as much density? So not restaurants, but like let's say a clothing store or a Verizon store or things like that. Do you think they could be fully open right now? I mean, no, because there's so many protocols that we haven't defined yet. You know, you go on, you go in and you try on a jersey or a dress and you decided you don't like it, just put it back. Hmm. 
You know, you have, you know, you're in a densely uh, dense environment and you have a shitty HVAC air conditioning system. Somebody walks in that's sick and you just recirculate the germs. Are you looking at checking or making sure that all the HVAC systems are in place and have their filters changed? And I'm not saying that you have, you know, somebody go and audit every little business before they open, but at least give them a set of protocols slash guidelines for them to follow because, you know, employees will help you self-regulate and your customers will very quickly help you self-regulate if you don't do those things. What, what if we said, okay, you're open, but you need to, the employees need to figure out how they're going to be safe and everybody's got to listen to them. I know that sounds a little I idealistic. I mean, that's a better step, but, but you know what? It still doesn't change the economics. You know, and it still doesn't change the demand curve. You know, you can get all your employees in and you can get them open up, but that's not going to make people buy, particularly when they have uncertainty and they're learning more and more every day they need to save for a rainy day. And well, so like, we need to go back to those things we discussed and create demand and try to find ways that improve the economic position and net worth in particular um, of employees. But, but like right now, it's, you know, we don't know this virus is going to stay with us you know, maybe it's going to go cycle. There's going to be a first wave, second wave, a second season, some months where it doesn't exist at all. There's so much uncertainty and that's not going to go away. We're not right. going to have a vaccine next month. Maybe we'll have things that alleviate symptoms a little bit, like they, they're doing these tests. But this uncertainty is going to live with us. But then you look at the math, like, like Texas has a population of 30 million. There's I don't know, not even 30,000 cases. There's some smaller percentage of that of, you know, deaths, which is sadly, you know, mostly the elderly. Is there a way to factor in the, just the statistics of this to, to reopen? That's tough because we've got to get further along first because every day you read more about more symptoms that are, mm. are more evident because of the coronavirus. Um, and look, there's a lot of viruses we don't have cures for, you know, lupus, herpes, you know, that, but they're not fatal and we understand what they are and we can deal with the symptoms. But, you know, we've got to get further along and have a better understanding. And we just don't know if, if you know, there's just outbreaks and that checks up the number because we've seen that with other viruses as well, whether it's the flu or whatever, and maybe it, it burns itself out. There's so much we don't know yet that we can't rush. And, but the more, as we get a better handle on the data, right, from more testing, and more hospital-based information and more from doctors, and we go back and look at things, um, then we'll have a better understanding. I mean, the perfect example, now you start to read that younger kids have had strokes as a result of COVID, right? And there, there's people that, you know, but do we know whether or not kids, younger people with strokes in the past, was that the result of COVID? We didn't know if COVID had existed before Wuhan made it an issue right? It's possible it existed before. There's so many things we don't know. And I'm not saying that's the right. case. We just don't know. You right. know, um, we don't know if it was created in Wuhan or just discovered in Wuhan. Right. So, you know, I guess then it gets into the political realm because again, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like in the short term, what, what you're saying is going to happen, which is that, you know, great discoveries in AI that's going to then, you know, spur the economy and so on. So, so it does seem like parachuting dollars onto the worker and maybe slight reopens will spur enough demand. And again, I guess I get worried, how long does it take before everything combusts? Or is there a political solution? Like I know you mentioned, I think it was on Yahoo Finance, you mentioned 
the the you haven't closed the door on a, a presidential run in 2020. How does how, you know again all just gossipy stuff aside? Like what's the path that that takes? It has to be you know we've already seen crazy stuff happen. There have to be something else that just wasn't expected, or you know people come to the realization that we need somebody who is tech, that this is gonna be a technological solution, this is gonna be an innovative solution and not driven by dogma. And look, I don't care if it's me. This is not about me being president. It's just, there's a hole there. And the, the really sad part is when we went to the primaries, we didn't have this in mind. We didn't, you know, we didn't look at candidates or try to choose candidates that were gonna be the best for dealing with this pandemic. You know, so now we have a world that we're gonna be voting on in November that has candidates for a world that we, you know, had nothing to do with what we're dealing with now, you know, and that that's, you know, a, a disconnect that is a problem. And so when I say, you know, there's a 10% chance and, who, you know, it takes something really outrageous to happen, it's not inconceivable. And that's why I'm keeping the door open. And again, I say it all the time, you don't have to be the leader to be a leader. And by keeping those options open, by having these types of conversations, then maybe somebody will say, whether it's Mark or somebody else who looks at these same type of things and is, understands them better and is smarter about them than I, than I am, then maybe we get that person, whether they're running or they're in a powerful spot, whatever it is, there's just gotta be somebody who's considering all these alternatives as opposed to doing it the Republican way or the Democratic way, because that's where we fail miserably. Yeah, I mean, and everything's so polarized now that if one person says X, the other 60 million people have to say the opposite of X. Yeah, it's and horrible. So it's, yeah. And, and so that's why that door is still open. And again, it, I want to keep it open and it doesn't even have to be for me. Right. Well, you know, I mean, the, the path to it is, and I wonder if this is a possible path, which is that technically speaking, Biden hasn't secured the delegates to get the majority. Is that a path where there's a brokered convention and they no, call you? Because if it were me, it'd have to be an independent. Right, because the part of the problem is it's so partisan that everybody, you know, down ballot on their Democrats are gonna be about, okay, are you gonna get me elected? And it's the same on the Republican side. It's gonna to have to be somebody who's able to come in and say, I don't care what either side thinks. I'm gonna put the best person in. And you know what? Instead of having more conservatives on the Supreme Court or more progressive on the Supreme Court, I'm gonna make sure it's always balanced. Instead of having, you know, as many conservatives as we can get in the judicial body, you know, as many conservative judges as we can get. No, we're going to have one, you know, for every conservative judge, there's going to be an independent judge. There's going to be a progressive judge so that we have balance and, you know, openness of thought. And we look at this as, you know, what's best for the country. You're not going to get that by going through a traditional party. So, you know, again, like where do you see, what do you see as the path to the worst case scenario here? Assuming that we're not going to be cutting the Warren Buffett style deals with companies, yeah, I mean, which I, think, I agree is a great idea, but it just doesn't seem to be happening. Yeah, I mean, that look, way. if it's just business as usual, we're just going to have to keep on printing more and more money trying to keep the wheels moving, and we'll see where that goes. So if you're, um, um, what is it, the MMT theorists, and you just think it's okay to keep on printing money, this is going to be the ultimate test. That's exactly what we're going to have to do. And we might start with giving you know, the trickle down. And if and when that doesn't work, we'll start writing the helicopter drop checks and depositing that money. And if that doesn't work, then we'll try something else. Um, what, I, what I get worried about is uh, the mental health of everybody. Yeah. Because, they're not, because all of these financial engineering, no matter what theory you're using, we're all just inside our houses. We're not like spending. 
but people are getting, you know, calls to mental health hotlines across the United States are, are up by like 25 X. What's that's what worries me the most. When you see lines right before the lockdown, when there was lines around the block at gun stores, not that people shouldn't have guns, but just the fact that there was no, this craze the fact for that they felt it necessary in the lines yeah. to the food banks. Yeah. You know, those are problems that the problems we had before are certainly getting exasperated now. And the idea is that, you know, part of look again, it goes back to a jobs program. You know, if, if we're having to deal with mental health, let's deal with mental health because it's not going to just go away because the economy gets better. And those are, you know, depression doesn't just go away because you have more money. Those are ongoing issues that people have. And so let's, let's invest there. Let's, you know, create jobs there. Let's create programs. Let's create facilities that really su- provide the support that people need for any and all mental health issues. That's the way you approach it, you know, and you, you can't say, you know what, this is a byproduct. No, this has been an intrinsic issue that we've had for generations and we're just becoming you know, aware of just how bad it is and this is just exasperating. So let's deal with the core problem instead of just saying, okay, here's a symptom. What can we do to make it go away? Yeah, I agree. And for, for now, I think though, just they are gonna just keep pr- trying to print money, try to bail out industries. Cause like you mentioned, maybe commercial real estate's the next to fall. We don't know how many industries are going to have a 2008-style financial collapse on top of this one. Yeah, I mean, retail, real estate. I mean, retail, real estate. I mean, the risk doesn't leave the system. Just always remember that. Whenever we make a move and you take, you you know, and you provide any type of shared asset, the risk doesn't leave the system. You know, it's just you try to push it around to where it's noticed the least, but it's still there. And until we recognize that and really try to to deal with the core issues, you know, it's going to be scary. And in in sports, you know, obviously, you know, this is a big industry, NBA, NFL, and so on. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, 15% of gross revenues in all these sports is from ticket sales, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it does lead to- It adds up, yeah, it adds up. And so what, what does that industry, I mean, you've been doing a great thing. It should be noted. You've been paying the hourly workers that, that work for the Mavericks and the arena and so on. You've been kind of a, a, a model of how this should be done. And many people aren't, but how, how does this could play out? I don't know. It really doesn't matter. Honestly. I mean, it's going to cost me a lot of money. It's going to cost a lot of my peers, a lot of money, you know, sports helps from a mental health perspective. And so if we can, if we can play, and when I say that, I don't mean it's curative, but what I mean is it's a diversion and it's something for us to get excited about and be positive about and something to cheer for. And so, uh, you know, I'm rooting and I'm pushing the NBA to come back to play as soon as it's safe without fans and play for television, just so we have something, you know, everybody has something to get excited about. But in terms of the big picture, um, it's not about my pocketbook. And I feel bad. There's a lot of owners across all the different professional sports that are really getting killed. And those that were highly leveraged are getting it even worse. Um, but it's just the nature of the beast and we've got bigger issues to address. Yeah, and so so I guess finally, just realistically, we've talked about this from a, a variety of topics, uh, from the idealistic to what's happening now, but what do you, how do you see this actually playing out in the next few months? I don't know, months? I know, I mean, I know you're trying to get me there. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't know. I really, really don't. I don't know where the zigs and the zags will be. I don't know what the virus will do. I don't know what the vaccines will be. But again, I'm a big believer in American exceptionalism. I'm a big believer in science. And I think like the Manhattan Project, I mean, we're in, we're in a war. You know, fortunately it wasn't domestic for us, but if you look at our allies, 
you know, and this is the conversation I've had with my kids. You know, I'm Jewish and I had relatives that just got swept up and exterminated. You know, we, we've read the diary of Anne Frank, our kids have, and we discussed that. You've got, you know, in London, the bombs were falling. I mean, and they came back from that. You go to, yeah, you know, war-torn countries around the world. Look at, you know, kids in Syria right now and in Iraq where, you know, Sarajevo, Bosnia, Sarajevo, you know, 20 some years ago, you know, we're resilient. This country's resilient. We're, you know, Ameri you know, humans are resilient. The question becomes how agile are we? How adaptive are we? Um, how innovative are we? And I don't think there's any country in the world that's more adaptive, resilient, and innovative than we are. We are a nature, nation of entrepreneurs, and that's what we do. And so while I think, you know, while I hope a lot of these programs work and you know, exceed all expectations, even if they don't, I think when we get to the other side, that American ingenuity, that entrepreneur um, in us all will take over, and that'll open up some doors that we didn't expect and get us through this. Um, it's happened before, and I'm confident it'll happen again. Yeah, like maybe there should be like a Manhattan Project for AI. Well, like, exactly, or robotics and AI. You know, anything where we have to compete. Look, every company always wants to control their own destiny. Every human wants to do their best to control their own destiny as best they can. Um, and every country should try to do the same thing. And that's where not having an understanding of technology, we don't understand how we relate to other countries in the world and how we're gonna to have to compete over the next 50 or 100 years. It's just, it's foreign to our current leaders in both parties. That's just, right. they're just not built that way. That's just not, they're just not in tune to it no matter who they're trying to listen to or be updated about it. It's just foreign to them. And that just can't be. That's a huge problem for us and we have to solve that. So and when you communicate this to the, the Open America Council, and you, you mentioned you have a liaison, you mentioned in other interviews, you've talked to this liaison every single day, and you've also mentioned you're, you're unsure if they're really taking action on anything, but is there a chance for a technology department or? Oh, I'm beating the hell out of them every day, trust me. And I'm making sure at least it gets on people's desk. Now, <laughs> unfortunately, again, in both parties, you can get it on their desk and it doesn't mean they're going to understand it. And there's a 99% chance that they won't, but I'm going to keep on banging and I'm not going to stop. And I'll keep on talking out publicly, you know, because if we can get enough people recognizing it and, and confirming it, then maybe politically it'll be in their best interest to move in that direction. And that's what I'll keep on trying to push to do. Again, you don't have to be the leader to be a leader. And I'm not just talking about me, but it's anybody out there. You know, we all need people to stand up. I've got all these corny sayings now that I use to motivate myself, right? And it's just like, you don't have, we all, for anybody to be a hero, we all have to be heroes, you know? And if you've got, if you're watching this, listening to this, whatever, and you have an idea, just ask yourself, why not me? Why can't it be you? Why can't it be your idea? Why can't it be your company that changes the game? No one ever, for me, you, anybody, no one ever thinks this is going to happen to them when they're going through it. No one thinks they're gonna be part of something that amazing. They hope so, and you try and you push, but it takes a little bit of luck and it takes a little bit of kismet, but there's no better chance, no better opportunity to get lucky than right now. So why not you, you know? Right, and I guess, like you say, demand is down because we're all inside, but there's certainly opportunities to create AI, or even if you don't know programming, even if you're not a technologist, you can create the idea that could potentially and look, and it's not only it big is. things like that. Side hustles are going to go through the roof, right? Because there's going to be so many inconsistencies and a lack of trust that people will, will trust the people in their neighborhood first. 
And so if you've got something you can do in your community that is going to, you know, be productive, you know, add pro, you know, give, give people, you know, a better life, give businesses a competitive advantage, whatever it may be, you're going to be able to do it and get paid in cash and, and start your own little company and grow it that way. You know, there's just so many ways to, to get that start, but you just got to start, you know? Yeah, and, no, I'll, I'll give just an example on the local side. So imagine if, if this is extended and restaurants are really sweating it because of their uh, uh, seats and rent and so on, you could imagine a, a restaurant moving to a space that's just a kitchen and just doing delivery. So they course. cut their expenses by 80%. Uh, focus on Uber Eats and Grubhub and stuff like that, and then they could start making absolutely. You know, making and I've actually talked to particularly um, fast food restaurants, and actually a couple of really nice restaurants in Chicago, where that's exactly what they did. They amped up locally. They went door to door basically, and really connected with their community and said, you know what, the, the dining rooms closed, but here's the deals that we're doing. Here's a feed your family deal that we'll drop off, you know, touch free. And their business is actually about break even, about where they were in terms of sales, but they're making more money because their costs are lower. And you know, Sonic, which is a drive-in restaurant here in Dallas, is up twenty percent. They're killing it because that you know supports social distancing. You know, the other example I always use that you can do in any community: all businesses are going to try to reduce their touch points. Right? We're going to want to you know have fewer places where you touch. Amazon Alexa, Google Home, um, Microsoft Cortana, those are all voice activation, um, ambient computing environments. If, if I were 16 and struggling, I'd be learning every bit I could about how to do those and going to businesses and saying, look, you need to reduce your touch points. Let me show you how I can put these little Amazon Alexa devices so people can connect them to whatever we need to connect them to so that people can give voice commands and not have to touch things. You know? Sorry. Something went wrong. <laughs> you know, but there's so many ways to be creative that you just have to take that first step. And you know what? Side hustles, I mean, are going to save the day, particularly in underprivileged communities, because those are going to be the people that everybody trusts because they're from the neighborhood. And that's how some amazing businesses are going to be built. And I use the Damon John example all the time. He started FUBU by selling T-shirts on the corner and hats that he yeah. made, literally made, you know, we're going to be back to those times again. Well, uh, Mark Cuban, look, I appreciate the time you spent. I know you're very busy and you know, you've got the, the fish TV show thing happening and <laughs> you know, your little let, basketball let me just team. say shark tank on Friday nights on ABC. If you want to get fired up about business or just watch a good show, turn us on. They're actually still original episodes that we filmed before. Yeah. And by the way, I use, I, I did use that show when my kids were growing up to, um, teach them business. I would pause the show. Okay. She just asked for 15% for $225,000. Why did she do that? What's the actual valuation of the company? Would you invest? It's it's the best learning reality. If you want to learn business it's the best reality show to either learn or teach. And so that's exactly I, why I do the show, you know, because it sends the message that the American dream is alive and well, and parents love it when their kids start businesses and it teaches them how to do that. I can't tell you prior to all this, how many people would stop me or email me all the time saying, you know, my son or daughter started a slime business or they started selling bracelets or they did this or that or this and or they understand what I do in my profession. And just that's why I do the show. It's the, it, it used to be, and it, it, now that we're back on Friday night, it may be, again, the number one show in all of television watched by families together. And that's why I do it. Yeah. 
Well, again, Mark, uh, thanks so much and good luck with everything. I, I always been following what you're doing and, and it's been really great. And if you run for president, let me know. I'll be, uh, I'm applying for a ambassador to Turks and Caicos. So, <laughs> well, James, it's always great to connect again. Yeah. You know, we've been doing this for a long time. So I'm glad we're connected again. Great interview. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And I don't even know if you remember 1998, it was the people's court. Ed Koch was the judge and I was making the website and you were doing the streaming. It was the yep. first TV show ever to be streamed live while it was being recorded. Yep, so, I certainly thank do you for remember that. that. Well, uh, thanks so much. And you know, um, Jay's gonna strip your recording before you logged out, but I, I really appreciate it once again. Appreciate it, guys. Um, All right, Jay, I'll turn it over to you. Hey everybody, this is Mark Cuban. Thanks for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Tune in again next week when my favorite bartender, James Alter, will be back with the most amazing podcast on the net. Thank you, Mark. I do <laughs> own a bar, actually. <laughs>